0: This morning's text is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded their minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the likeness of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who said, let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show that the transcendent power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For while we live, we are always being given up to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith as he had who wrote, I believed and so I spoke, we too believe and so we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God so we do not lose heart. Through our out, though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed every day. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Because we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal.
1: I'd like to try to persuade you this morning of two things. I hope most of you already agree with them, but uh, if you don't, I'll do my best to change your mind and heart through the ministry of the Word. The two things are, first, I would like to try to persuade everybody that Every Christian has been given a gift by God and is responsible to use it for others and their good and for the glory of God. And then the second thing I would like to try to persuade you of is that there are really strong, compelling reasons that you should want with all your heart to find this gift and use it. And then when we're done with that, that's going to take about 20 minutes, we're going to pass out some folders for a survey of ministry for everyone and give you an opportunity to think and pray very specifically about opportunities here at Bethlehem this year. First, then, I want to try to persuade you from Scripture that every one of you who knows Christ has received a gift from God and that you are responsible to use it for the good of the church and for the glory of God. The first text where this is made crystal clear is 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and verse 11. 1 Peter four ten. It says, As each has received a gift, employ it for one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever renders service as one who renders it in the strength which God supplies in order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. In those two little verses, there's a theology of ministry in miniature. All of the four elements of that first thing that I want to persuade you of are there. First, each Christian has been given a gift. It says very plainly. Second, you are responsible to employ it, employ it, it says for whom third, for the benefit of others, for each other. And finally, let him who serves in the use of his gift do it so that God may be glorified. So it's very plain from those two verses that every Christian has a gift, that he is responsible to use it, that he is to use it for other people and that he is to use it to God's glory. So, don't miss the very personal, practical implication of that text for everybody in this room who names the name of Jesus. You are there. And it means that you have a gift, some special manifestation of grace. We're not going to restrict it to any list that's in the Bible, It simply says, varied grace has been given to the members of the body of Christ, and we're responsible to use them. Here's a second text that supports that same point. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, where it says very simply, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each has been given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. First Corinthians twelve seven. So notice explicitly again to each. That's what I want to emphasize this morning. So none of you can say them, him, others, and just keep pushing away the teaching of scripture from your own life. It's not pastors that are being spoken of here. It's members, members of the body of Christ. There are no exceptions. If you are a Christian, you are gifted by God with a special manifestation of grace and obligated not to squander it through negligence. You're responsible, rather, to use it for the good of the church and the glory of God. Now... My guess is that most people who are Christians don't disagree with that in their head. I I don't know how you could in view of texts like these, but you might say, "Um, all right, I'm persuaded in my head, but you just don't feel any incentive in your emotions to find that gift and to use it There's a disjuncture there between what you're persuaded of here and what you want to do here. So my second effort this morning is to try to find reasons and incentives from the Bible that will kindle that desire. And there are five of them in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 4. So I'd like you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 and we will look at these together. First, first incentive for why you should want to discover what your peculiar gift is and use it. Namely, that people who use their gifts become ministers of a new covenant. That means that ministry is not merely the keeping of regulations, but rather the experience of spiritual power. Look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. And I'll try to show you what I mean by the new covenant. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. Our sufficiency is from God, who has qualified us to be ministers of a new covenant. Not in a written code. But in the spirit for the written code kills, but the spirit gives life. The old covenant. Let me try to explain what these two terms mean. The old covenant was the agreement that God made with his people at Mount Sinai, that if they would trust him and obey him. And when they sin avail themselves of the provision of forgiveness in the sacrificial system, he would be their God, give them life and prosperity. That was the covenant, the agreement. The new covenant is the agreement that God has made with his new people that if they will trust Jesus and obey Jesus, And when they sin, rely on the redemption that Jesus has purchased. He will give them eternal life. In other words, the the terms of the old covenant and the new covenant are not essentially different. Trust and obey. There's no other way to be happy in Moses or Jesus. The terms of the covenant are basically the same. What's different is that. Under the old covenant, the spiritual power to overcome the innate hardness of heart that characterized the people of God then and today was not by and large given. According to Deuteronomy 29, verse 4. Whereas in the new covenant, after Jesus has made full atonement for sin on the cross, In a new and full way, the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church for obedience. Now, that means that under the old covenant, the word of God, by and large, though it was holy, just and good, was pursued by people who did not rely on the Holy Spirit. And when you pursue the law, not relying on the spirit, the law becomes a dead letter and kills. That's why here in chapter three, verse seven, Paul calls the law a dispensation of death. But in the new covenant, the spirit takes that law, that revealed will of God, writes it. On the heart so that it is no longer a mere deadly external constraint, but rather now becomes the expression of our own cheerful will and purpose. And in that way, the Holy Spirit leads to obedience and life rather than to death. Now, what is all of that? have to do with ministry, with your use of your gift. It means that we here at Bethlehem are not involved in taking biblical sentences and piling them on other people in a legalistic way, like weights, Jesus described them. Ministry, rather, under the new covenant is not the explanation or the application, or the implementation of biblical sentences in human strength. That only breeds death. Rather, ministry is the explosion of spiritual power through the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The first great incentive, then, for you to be engaged In the use of your gift is that thereby you are caught up into the great redemptive work of the spirit in this age. You have your gift from the spirit. You use it in the power of the spirit and the fruit that you produce is the product of the Holy Spirit. You are not left to yourself and your own sufficiency, Paul says in these verses so the first thrilling incentive to find and to use your gift is that in doing it, you are born along by the almighty Holy Spirit. And there is no greater thrill in all the world than to know that you're at the center of God's will. His wind is at your back. His angel is running before you. You know That you are made for this. You exult in the grace of God that now he has condescended to gift you and employ you, as it were, in his new covenant ministry. That's ample incentive in itself for anybody. If you're looking for a way to invest your life significantly. Second incentive from these passages for stirring up your gift and using it. Namely. That's what Jesus meant by servanthood, and servanthood is the path of greatness. Look at verse 5 of chapter 4 here in 2 Corinthians. Paul says, for what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. When Paul uses his gift in ministry to the church, he says that he becomes a servant of them for Jesus' sake. They get the service. Jesus gets the glory. What does Paul get? Paul gets the fulfilling, joyful confidence that he is becoming a great man of faith. Because, Jesus said, whoever would be great among you must be your servant. True greatness in the kingdom of God is servanthood. Using your gift is the appointed way of God for service in the church or through the church to people outside. And therefore, if you have any aspirations for true greatness, then you have an incentive to use your gift for the good of the church and the glory of Jesus Christ. Third incentive. Your ordinariness is no hindrance to the use of your gift. So many people say I'm just so ordinary, so average, so undistinguished. I can't do anything really significant, so there's no point in trying. Now, look at 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Here's a verse to blow that argument out of the water. Paul says, we have this treasure. Now, I think by treasure, he's referring back up to verse 1 where he says we have this ministry. Basically, I think he means my gift of apostleship to disseminate the gospel. So you could substitute right there your gift. We have this gift or this treasure in earthen vessels. That's you and me, clay pots, calling all clay pots. We have this treasure in clay pots. To show that the transcendent power belongs to God and not to us. Notice how utterly different God's concept of ministry is from the world's. The world is very interested in shiny containers. But not in the glory of the God who manifests himself in human weakness. If there's one thing I hope we're learning here at Bethlehem, I sense it as a recurrent theme coming through again and again, is that God's will to be glorified in all things determines how we do all things. And here it says that God's purpose is to make sure that in the ministry of the church, it is evident that the power belongs to him, not to us. How does he do it? He puts his treasure in clay pots. Therefore, your ordinariness is not a liability. It is an asset. If you desire that God get the glory and not you. No one is too common, too weak, too shy, too inarticulate. Too disabled to do what God wants you to do with the gift He has given you for the church and for His glory. Now don't tell, he's not here is he, don't tell Jim Lindholm what I'm gonna say right now because I told him I was gonna surprise him in the second service. Take Jim Lindholm for an example. Jim Lindholm is the most disabled, limited person physically in this church. He's going to sit right over there in his wheelchair, second service. And who do you suppose had 27 red and white carnations at home for Carol Levy when she was finished with her surgery with a note? We miss you. Hurry back. Jim Linholm. Now, listen, people. The point is, nobody has an excuse if Jim Lindholm can minister like that. I praise God. That's not the only gift Jim has, by the way. I could list about five that he is using among us in all his limitation. And it ought to shame many of those of us who have so much more going for us than he seems to have, but may have so much more than we think. Your ordinariness, your disability, your shyness, your inarticulateness is not a liability if you want God to get glory. It is an asset. Fourth incentive. If you use your gift, you change other people into thankful people to God's glory. Look at verse 15 of chapter 4. Paul says here that the use of his gift of apostleship is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Now, you remember it said in First Peter 410 that when God gives us a gift, that is simply a, a giving of manifold or varied grace. Paul goes a step farther and says, when we use our gifts, we're spreading grace. And he says that the result of spreading grace is thanksgiving, busting out of people's hearts to give God glory. In other words, when a Christian engages in doing some good for other people with that special gift of grace that God has given him, the reward he gets is not so much that people thank him, but that they thank God. And if we're Christians, nothing should thrill us more than that. God is using us to get people to give him thanks. What else would you rather invest your life in? Finally, one more incentive. Number five. Whatever. Inconvenience or suffering or affliction you may have to endure to press on in the use of your gift is worth it. Look at verse 17 of Second Corinthians 4. Here's what Paul says about the afflictions he endures as he attempts to fulfill his gift of apostleship. This slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now notice, Paul's point is not, hang on, it'll be better in the by and by. He goes deeper than that. He says, the affliction you may have to endure now in the use of your gift makes our experience of the by and by better. Our affliction sustained in faith is, it says, preparing, it's effecting a weight of glory that you can't imagine in the age to come. And that is an unbelievably strong incentive for Paul to press on in ministry. Notice he says in verse 16, just previous, so we do not lose heart. And then he gives verse 17 as the reason why he doesn't lose heart. So we press on in spite of everything in the use of our gift because we know that whatever afflictions we may endure, they are really not hindrances in the end to our joy. They are magnifying our experience of God's glory in the age to come. Let me sum up now, try to pull it all together. First, we saw from 1 Peter 4:10 and 11 and 1 Corinthians 12, Verse seven, that every Christian has been given some special manifestation of grace, a gift, and is responsible to use it for the good of the church and for the glory of God. And then we went to Second Corinthians chapters three and four and saw five incentives for why we should not only know that in our heads, but want to find our gift and use it with all our hearts. First, first. By using our gift, we become ministers of the new covenant. That is, we're not just engaged in taking dead sentences, trying to obey them in our own strength or laying them on other people to make them feel guilty. We are involved in a spiritual explosion of power. We are resting in God for the performance of our ministry. And that changes everything and is very fulfilling. Second, When we use our gift, we are doing what Jesus called service. And Jesus said that service is the path of greatness. And therefore, if you have any incentive whatsoever to true and godly greatness, you've got an incentive to find and use your gift. Third, no matter how ordinary or disabled you may feel and be, that is no liability in the kingdom. It is an asset if your desire is for God to get the glory rather than yourself. Fourth, using your gift will change other people, will change sinners into grateful believers, will change grumpy and grouchy saints into grateful ones. And fifth and finally, in that whole process of a lifetime of investment, whatever discouragements or afflictions or suffering you may encounter along the way, it's utterly worth it because all of it is not merely to be endured but actually to be embraced as something that is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Now, what I'd like us to do at this point is to make a transition from thinking about our gift to thinking about concrete opportunities here at Bethlehem. And to do that, let's call one another to commitment by singing the first two verses of hymn number 507. From our hearts, preparing ourselves to consider the opportunities of ministry here. O Lord, our God, giver of every good and perfect gift, Full of grace and compassion to condescend to invest your glorious treasure in us earthen vessels, we praise you. And I thank you, Lord, for what you've done in the hearts of your people in this hour. And what you're still doing as they go to the booths and think and consider and pray throughout this day about what you might want them to do for your church and for your glory. Lord, grant that in all of this we might be wholly reliant on the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ.